Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 96 for Monday, July 6th, 2020. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, though some of you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and we've already been talking to our guest a little bit in the render distance, which is the extended version of the show, which you can find at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. But without further ado, I would love to introduce our guest with us this week. We have Azuma, who you will probably know from being a pillar of the Hermitcraft server, his Minecraft myth-busting videos, or videos where he's covered the recent snapshots at youtube.com slash azumavoid. He also streams on Twitch at twitch.tv slash azuma and runs azumavoid.com and vanillatweaks.net for all your texture pack and data pack needs. Azuma, welcome to the show. Thank you. I, I, I just got to say, you guys are so good at this. So professional. <laughs> we've had we've had 96 episodes i think we'd be good at something by now and uh yes I, I i do like introducing the guests it's always fun to have a new voice on the show especially and and a voice that a lot of our listeners will i'm sure be uh pretty familiar with um when we start these shows especially with guests we like to do a quick login a little uh kind of catch up about what's new in our minecraft life and traditionally speaking the guest goes first so maybe without spoiling too much about what you're up to on hermitcraft this week uh what's new in minecraft for you x uh, well, getting into the nether update, I guess, seeing it in survival, as we kind of discussed a minute ago in the pre-pre-show, um, you know, I cover it in creative for a long time, and then you jump into survival and you see it kind of as it actually is, as you're going to experience it, and it some things are a fair bit different than you might have expected, so I'm kind of navigating all of that at the moment. What are the highlights for you so far? Is there anything that you were just like itching to get into feature-wise? Yeah, building farms is always fun, really fun, but it just feels like the same old concepts of farming just get applied to the new things that they add. Mm -hmm. I guess I might have been hoping for a bit more of a challenge with some of this stuff, and so far it's all been pretty easy. I feel like a lot of this update is about making it easy to get your hands on stuff, like the way that you can farm all of the new nether items it's really friendly and easy you don't need to use silk touch um you can break these blocks of any tool you know not fast but they they drop and that means you can get them with tnt like they've just they just made the obtainability of everything really easy which i think on one hand is good but as someone who's played the game a long time you're kind of looking for a challenge sometimes as well and uh, i'd say on the farming front so far things haven't been that challenging yeah, I, I wonder how that's going to develop as well, because I think the goal for this update was for them to provide a nether experience that was entirely survivable on its own. Like, you can start and end in that dimension and get all of the tiers of tools, right? So I think part of their objective was to make the nether a little bit more survival friendly. But on the flip side, you've got folks like you and folks like the others on Hermitcraft, and I'm sure many other survival players out there who are more dedicated, who you know, you're going in with a pretty heavy technical knowledge of how the game works to begin with, you know what to exploit and where, and there aren't really any new surprises. I suppose the only thing that remains there is stuff like ancient debris, which they've made so rare that, you know, you have to have certain methods of getting hold of it. By the way, uh, we'll have you weigh in on this. Uh, what's your favorite method of mining for ancient debris? Are you a bed person? Are you a TNT person? Or do you just take a pickaxe to the nearest wall of netherrack? I would go with TNT, but you obviously got to have a gunpowder farm and, you know, you got chests full of sand. Um, TNT, you can kind of spam it. I've yeah. been, I've done the branch mine TNT. There's another TNT method uh, to get a load of it and just let it fly everywhere and blow everything up. That 
supposedly works good. Um, if you use a TNT duper and sort of set it on overdrive, that's another way to clear out a lot of the nether, but that's probably more cheaty. Um, but I think TNT's the most kind of involved time-wise. Like, it feels like you get a good return, whereas with beds, there's a lot of finickiness of, like, setting it up, clicking on the bed, putting out the fire. Uh, I think beds probably do yield the larger amount of ancient debris, but it's just a little slower and more finicky to do, so I think I'd go with TNT. Yeah. That's been my experience too. I tend to mine for it all by hand with, with a pickaxe now because netherite pickaxes have like a little extra durability so that, that helps last a little bit longer and I don't have in a single player world the time or anybody else to help me farm that much TNT and if I'm not just making a, a duplicating flying machine or something like that then I really think you know mining it out instead of using beds is is better just because you spend less time putting fires out that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can instant mine the blocks, so it can be pretty speedy, you know? Yeah. Uh, how about you, Joel? You've uh, updated the Citadel to 116 now, so are you already mining ancient debris, or are you just taking a look around first? Actually, just taking a look around, and that took quite a while. Uh, and it's funny that um, you mentioned the, the switch from seeing stuff in creative and then seeing it in survival. Uh, I obviously, you know, see a lot of this stuff on, on the show as we cover the snapshots week to week, but then, uh, you know, I'll pop into a creative world, take snap, take, um, screenshots for thumbnails and whatnot, but seeing the nether in the trimmed chunks on the server that I've been playing on for three years was a completely different experience than um, flying around in, in a you know quick quick world just to try to get some, some views of what's going on. And uh, I might've changed my tune. I know Johnny, you and I have been talking a lot about the warped forest kind of like eking out uh, as like probably our favorite biome. It's, I think I like the mine. crimson. I think I like the crimson forests now. Uh, there, There's a lot of them on the Citadel. So, uh, we've got a, a couple of nether fortresses that border on them. We've got a couple of um, crimson forests that can be viewed from the road. Now we have an, a, like a, a unique sort of situation. The uh, Citadel was created in 1.12 with a custom world setup, which is no longer supported. So when I updated the chunks, um, we're actually getting new land as well as new biomes. So I had to be careful as to where I trimmed the chunks. Otherwise I'd end up with these weird blocks kind of floating in the middle of places and, uh, or weird chunks, I should say. Uh, but I did a second pass on it and it, uh, it turns out, turned out pretty well, but I just, I really love how the crimson forests appear to generate higher and then kind of trickle down towards lava lake level. Uh, there always seems to be some sort of vertical cavern when you're looking up into a, a crimson forest. And when they're big, they really add a lot of vibrant red color to, to the nether. I still like the, the work forest. They're obviously more peaceful to hang out in. Like the, playing playing in a crimson forest this past weekend, I was like, okay, this is really tedious. There's hoglins everywhere. I've got a gold helmet on, but you got to have mushrooms or torches, uh, blue uh, soul file fire torches handy to get rid of the the hoglins it's um it's definitely a more interesting experience but i really didn't play much i just kind of walked around in the nether and, and kind of looked around i'm still dealing with some some frame stutter issues uh optifine 116 has a pre-release two out i believe I believe as of july 3rd um and that helped a little bit but i'm still seeing some stuff uh it, there's just a lot of busyness happening now in the nether so it's not as easy on the eyes i guess or easy on the system are you um are you exploring so, it on foot or have you got a lighter and rockets 
Uh, Elytra and Rockets. We were exploring a lot of it on foot uh, on purpose on my stream on Sunday because we've got a lot of nether roads that go like northeast, south, and west. And we were, I wanted to see what the views were from our main pathways. But when it came to, you know, flying over a lake or seeing where the borders would change from one biome to the other, I was just flying around with, with a rocket. So um, it was more along the lines of like going into the Crimson Forest and trying to get some blocks and having that experience versus going into like a Delta. And I had played um, a single player world when the, the 116 first came out last week or the week before and um, tried to go into the nether in like a Soul Sand Valley and uh, Basalt Delta spawn. Very early game. I barely had any armor and I got my butt handed to me. <laughs> like it was, it was not a good time. <laughs> Yeah, magma cubes are absolutely lethal in this update, and the fact that they spawn more frequently, they're in those piglin bastions as well. Like they, they mm. will, they will take you out, and you, you don't tend to consider them that much of a threat if you've been playing with full armor for a while. But when you step into the Nether with only a a gold helmet and whatever iron stuff you could scrounge together, it is it is a different prospect entirely. Well, hoglins too. Like I mean, because I'm quote unquote, you know, end game flying around with my elytra and my, my armor and stuff. Now, granted, I only wear iron armor on the Citadel, but I had iron boots and pants, a gold helmet and my elytra. And when you get headbutted by a, a hoglin, that's not that's not a joke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's a, it's a good three or four hearts, I think. Yeah, they certainly take care of the local piglin population as well. <laughs> I've seen some of them I've... just like kick them off cliffs occasionally. <laughs> yep. That's something I've not really seen too much is like to hang around and observe how piglins and hoglins interact because there's a lot of interactivity, right? Yeah, they seem to have got a bit more of the, the concept of there being a nether ecosystem, especially with wanting to keep it like as, as a survival progression for players. I think they kind of wanted the world to feel a little bit more alive in the mm. nether. So having having piglins and hoglins effectively hunt each other. I think the piglins instigate it every time. Uh, but the Hoglins are usually more aggressive towards the player. Um, but yeah, it it is kind of fun to watch, and you don't necessarily catch it uh, all of the time. You know, you, you won't be watching them, and then they'll instantly start fighting. But it always happens off camera for me, and then I turn around, and then there's a horde of piglins all like chasing down one Hoglin armed with crossbows. It's it's actually quite fun if you get a whole group of them together. What I find uh, interesting about it is I'm still getting used to all of the sounds in the, in the Nether. Uh both like block sounds and different things but then also hearing the piglins gang up on a hoglin and you immediately go wait are they mad at me what did i do yeah <laughs> and you're you're on the edge and then you realize oh no no they're they're just chasing <laughs> they're chasing another pig because it just it's uh it's very similar to of course how zombie pigmen back in 115 would get angry at you and so you just whenever there's that alarm squeal your brain just kind of goes into panic mode like oh crap like what <laughs> what did i do i didn't touch anything you know the nether and, update uh, certainly has you looking over your shoulder every so often yeah in a good way like i'm not i'm not i'm not complaining i think it's 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 nice to not be walking around in there like you own the place um something that i found and i'd be curious about your opinion on this too uh, x is that uh in our overworld we don't tend to just like deforest places we tend to like oh this is a really pretty vista i do need trees but i'll go 10 trees deep and chop down a couple trees so i'm not ruining the view i find i'm doing that in the nether now like i'd be looking at this crimson forest like i'm gonna get some crimson blocks i don't want to take them from right here because this looks really cool so i try to get into into the the depth of it look for some tree that doesn't look so good and then take it down as opposed to taking down like the super tall you know um 
crimson hyphae that looks really cool on the edges of forests I've been, I've been traveling in. Um, have you on Hermitcraft felt like you have to like dial back or, or are you, are you um, preserving the, the, the nether or do you want to keep it the way it is? Or are you thinking like, nope, we just want to, you know, dismantle the thing. Yeah. Um, two things as a group, we have a gentleman's rule because we kind of know that we want to preserve the look for when you fly around. Right. Um, just, just thinking back to when we've done nether hubs in the past, like before wings and whatnot, you'd have those tunnels going everywhere and the nether wasn't much to look at. So you'd sort of just put these tunnels going for everywhere. Whereas now we've got wings and rockets and the nether actually looks gorgeous. So we're going to be flying from this portal to that one. You almost want to go through the nether. So preserving it is kind of, uh, I think a big deal. And, and the other part of that, I think Mo Yang actually thought that because when I did a live stream where I was like, right, I'm going to go gather some trees and bring these resources back and build a farm. As I started to think it through more and more, I realized I could go to the two different biomes, pick up the two different types of fungus and nylium. So that's four, a combination of four blocks. If I didn't even need the fungus now to think about it, all you need is the nylium. Come back to the overworld with bone meal and you can get absolutely all the different items out of it, right? So if you want to preserve mm. the never, you just pick up one nylium block of each type and some netherrack and then you've got you know with a bone mill supply everything you need to get those materials so you don't actually have to tear them down and i, th I think that's intentional yeah it, it is good that stuff is renewable especially for you know players who want to amass a large quantity of it without clear cutting everything in sight but also to preserve yeah the natural beauty of those biomes and thinking to the nether hub thing, I wonder how that's going to impact people who do still want to build a nether hub with tunnels, but we might see people building them more out of glass than anything else, just so they can still have like a, a panoramic view of the stuff they're traveling through while also trying to stay as safe from ghasts as possible. Yeah, that's that's the one problem with the nether is that ghasts blow stuff up. So <laughs> if you're going to have anything, it's subject to being destroyed partially. Um, but I, I, I just think wings are so powerful and rockets, it just makes so much sense. Like you tend to take the path of least resistance in this game. And so I think a lot of nether hubs are now just going to have players flying from spot to spot. It was kind of like a habit that you would make tunnels because the nether wasn't much to look at. But now there's stuff to look at. It kind of makes sense. I think just, uh, you know, your nether hub's going to be like a fly off point and then you perhaps have some markers dangling off the ceiling to tell you where to go to get somewhere else, you know? I did catch some of your stream the other day, Johnny. I know that you've been looking for, for netherite. How, how's that going? How's your week going in Minecraft? Oh boy. Um, I've done a lot of other stuff other than mining for ancient debris, but yeah, I've decided that if I'm ever going to get a netherite beacon, I will probably have to put the time in. So I've been, I've been doing a fair amount of mining. I'm going to try out different methods for it as well, but pickaxe only for now. Um, and uh, outside of that, I've been checking out the more surface level stuff in the nether update and not really committing to any sort of large building projects or anything like that. So this week I, you know, I rode a strider, I got soul speed, I set a respawn anchor, I messed around with the new functionality of hose and the changes to walls. I'm kind of taking it slow and steady before I jump into the more technical stuff. 
Uh, but this week started off the technical stuff with building one of those contraptions that you can build now with the way basalt generates with lava, where with blue ice and soul soil, you can turn lava flowing or lava sources into basalt. And so I've started creating uh, basalt bridges across lava using slime block flying machines. And that is fun. Um, and I've seen videos, uh, I know Mumbo has one, I know a lot of other people were making them when the snapshot first released, but you can have a basalt generator effectively pull a tunnel up around itself so that you can have a tunnel at lava level going through the nether and that's that's spectacular and i've not gone that far with it but i did make a four block wide self-generating bridge the other day and i was like this game has changed a lot you know i, I feel like the reason <laughs> they don't allow water in the nether to begin with is so that you can't turn the lava lakes into obsidian but this is something along those lines but slightly different you can't just pour the stuff everywhere because Obviously, you need, you know, soul soil and blue ice to interact in a certain way with the lava. And it's it's a more specific mechanic than just pour it from on high and watch it spread. But it's really fun to play around with. So I think this week I'm going to get more into that stuff. I've got uh, a couple of upcoming videos where I'm raiding bastions and trying to find the best loot from those. And then outside of that, I think I'm probably going to get into the farming stuff. But we're on week three of the nether update at this point, I think. We're coming into week three at least, so... It feels like I've been taking it at a pretty steady pace so far and definitely enjoying myself. Nice. Uh, we have a little bit of news to get out of the way before we get into a full conversation with uh, Azuma about all the wonderful things uh, that uh, everyone has written in and asked. But uh, first off, we've got uh, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 20W27A, uh, adding the Piglin Brute, which we covered last week, uh, as well as Zoglins can now be leashed. Crimson and Warped Fungus can now be placed, but not grown, on Mycelium. We'll have a link to the um, full patch notes for uh, 20W27A in our show notes. Uh, in addition, also the Minecraft Dungeons Jungle Awakens DLC came out. It was released on July 1st, 2020. Uh, free for Hero Edition owners. Price for the DLC is $6 USD or uh, $10 for the DLC pass, which includes the Creeping Winter coming on later this year. You got new gear, new mobs, new bosses, uh, the Jungle Abomination. Uh, free new content for Minecraft Dungeons base game includes a free map in the Lower Temple, new threat level per difficulty, unlocking higher powered gear and additional challenges to the end game content. Uh, new gear is a battle staff, dual crossbows, plus two unique versions of each of them. Balance changes to the various items as well in the Minecraft Dungeons patch notes. And this is new. We've not had a patch to Minecraft Dungeons and not had any balance changes yet. Uh, and so I thought that was pretty interesting. I have not beaten the base game yet so i haven't explored jungle awakens i know you have johnny though how, how have you found it i found it pretty good so far i thought i thought the levels were pretty well designed even if combat sort of felt like more of the same uh and i'd already pretty much settled on the type of weapons i like to use so none of the newer stuff was really geared towards my play style um and the final boss was a really cool design and I like the way they've expanded the story into these DLC missions because there is a little bit of light story that kind of continues stuff from after you beat the game. But the final boss really wasn't very difficult as a fight. <laughs> it just didn't, for some reason, it just didn't really jive with me. It was that some of the, the smaller enemies that were spawning were more difficult to fight than the boss was for me. Uh, how about you, X? Because I know you checked out the DLC recently. Yeah, quick question. Did you do that with um, with your fists? <laughs> mm. You did. I did. I, I did. I did that with the um. There's those gauntlet weapons that you can get, which is a bare fist fighting style, but it's 
much more powerful. It's an actual weapon that you can equip. Um, and I, I only did that so that I could uh, play through on a harder difficulty and get more loot from it and have more enemies to fight. Because I feel like the, the fists only when you don't have any weapons equipped at all is fun, but you have to play on such a low difficulty level that mm. you don't really get to experience maybe what the intended uh play style is because there's so many uh so many more interesting mobs and more interesting challenges that occur on adventure difficulty and higher plus i, I wanted people to get a more balanced look at what it was going to be anyway but my, that character is still like a monk playthrough for me where he's only using like barehanded combat he doesn't use ranged weapons at all and i have a pretty wicked setup now where the gauntlets i have have radiance and they attack super fast and every attack basically has a chance to spawn that healing circle that heals like oh, four or nice. 500 HP per time. So I'm dealing so much damage so quickly and every other hit basically heals me. So it's a little bit broken, but it's very, very fun to play. It feels like there's a lot of that in this game. There's a lot of combinations that just feel a little too overpowered. I, um, yes. I got my hand on the Torment Quiver when I was kind of struggling to get through some levels and it just flipped it upside down. It just went back to feeling so you know click spammy and fun because whenever things got tricky it was just like torment quiver and it just took care of everything around me you know um it's the fact that it can go through walls i think is a little bit broken about that oh, one yeah. it just like you can take care of stuff before it even rounds the corner to come and attack you and and it kind of like knocks back the mob and keeps hitting them sometimes as well mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is uh, very powerful there's something here in the notes uh, a new threat level per difficulty i feel like yes. i missed what that was it bumps up to difficulty seven is the maximum you can increase it to now. So oh, was um, it only six before? Yes, gotcha. yeah. So so gotcha. whether you're playing on default adventure or apocalypse as the overall difficulty, there are different tiers within that that were one through six. It now goes up to seven, and I think the maximum power level of items has increased. So it's like a power cap going up in an MMO like World of Warcraft or something like that. Yeah, is that retroactive on the old levels then? Yes, yeah, so you can play uh, any level on difficulty 7 now and get oh, that's cool. get gear as high as I think 112 in Apocalypse is like the highest level. Maybe 115 is like around the level you can get where previously I think it was only 108. So yeah, it, it seems like each DLC might include something like that. I don't know if they're going to increase the difficulty every time, but with new weapons might also come a new chance for people to get back into the grind and get even more powerful gear. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I personally felt this update was um, quite lightweight for a DLC. Like, it's not very game-changing. Yeah. Um, I only got to play two of the levels. They felt a lot longer than any of the other levels I'd played, but maybe that was just, I don't know, um, kind of exploring all the new stuff. Um, they obviously look really cool, the new levels. But it didn't feel like the game had changed very much, and they had these new little jungle fellas marching around, casting spells and putting those vines up everywhere. And the vine was kind of like a cool mechanic. It sort of blocks your path, and you can whack it, which, if you've got lifesteal or it's like a great way to heal up. But that was about it. That was I feel like maybe I missed something. Like The new weapons they added weren't particularly interesting, and the new mob like was that it was it just the one mob that they added uh, i think there were two there was um the the vine summoning ones and there's another one called a leaper which is more of a heavy enemy that kind of smashes the ground ah, in front of you i figured out that one's weakness i know the one um yeah it's like i don't know it's like a bouldering looking thing right yeah. with with like four it, legs on the ground it kind of it kind of looks like a plant gorilla almost like in terms of its build yeah yeah, yeah totally and 
and like I, I had uh, I had the roll where you leave fire behind you. Oh, okay. And it didn't take me long to realise that I just roll. They come towards me and they're weak to fire. And so I took all of them out just without even hitting them. Nice. Sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And that's, it was that, pretty easy. That's the best way to deal with them because when I was up close punching them, they were dealing a lot of damage per hit. So I feel like, yeah, oh, if, if you've got a strategy for them, then that's almost kind of part of part of what the game's throwing at you is like, okay, deal with this now. Find out the, the best way to, to, to cheese your way around this. But I think it's it's good that they're adding new stuff to this and that the game seems to be on a sort of development roadmap. There have been a couple of articles out this week talking with the developers and saying how they plan on adding new content going forward. And considering that people weren't too pleased with the offering this game had initially, like it was generally well received, but it felt like it was quite a short game. Um, now they've got an additional uh, like bonus level from the, the jungle, uh, not the jungle temple, the desert temple level has like its own uh you know bonus level in the same way that creepy crypt and soggy uh soggy cave i think are the uh the offshoot levels of some of the others so a little bit more of a chance to grind for gear there and now the amount of levels in it if you include the dlc as well is about twice what we initially thought it was so i think in terms of playability there is certainly a lot there it's just how they can vary the game mechanics and keep it interesting for players who feel like they've seen it all at this point yeah, it's it's got a very in my mind a very casual vibe. It's yeah, it's just fun on a casual level, but there's not really like a a long-term strategy you look at when you play this game, right? Like if you think of a game like Diablo, um you know, you might plan to do particular levels in particular ways to get special items and combinations. Um, you know, you used to like try and farm gems so you could upgrade them in that cube thing. Like, there's there's none of that. It's like the game sort of levels itself out. If you just keep progressing up that tier system, it just keeps giving you new items that you then just swap for something else and then you're good again. You know, it's very there's, there's no real strategy. Like, you're not like trying to figure out something long term. If that makes sense. Yeah, I I think maybe it's uh. A factor of the game trying to be more entry level as far as the genre goes it's not trying to reinvent the wheel and it's not trying to be super hardcore for players who are probably younger and into minecraft in general and want to check this out just because it has a minecraft theme but yeah. yeah it does feel like it needs a little something for the hardcore players the people who are going to get on the grind and the people who want to be rewarded for that so maybe Definitely. that's that's something they can uh you know cast an eye over in future and see what they can do too improve yeah, things but what, what you just said is is it like they've mastered that element of the game that's what's done so great like i i checked out a few reviews of dungeons that were a little bit on the scathing side you know like criticizing it laying into it and it's kind of like you you're kind of right but you've sort of missed the point of what the game does really well which is just that pick up and play and have fun kind of feel to it yeah yeah definitely have you had a chance to play multiplayer with anybody yet no, but we got to do that. Yes, yeah, I, I can I, do that today. Later today. Let's let's do it. I think we should because um, yeah, multiplayer is often where this experience shines, especially with people choosing different character classes that work well off of each other. I think that that's where things step up a little bit because if you're yeah. playing single player, you're worried about the synergy that your artifacts and items and stuff have, but then you throw other players into the mix, and suddenly you're working out character builds that complement what the other players want to do. And there are even yeah. more mobs around you because the game kind of scales up the difficulty based on how many people are playing as well as what difficulty setting you have. That's that's so. literally what I'm looking for next. Like where I've been playing it on streams and talking about it, I'm like, 
this is all great, but I kind of want to, I kind of want to like forge a path on my character. And yeah, you need like to play with other people to do that, it seems. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, multiplayer is perhaps the best place to, uh, to take it. Uh, as far as where we're going to take this show, let's move on to Chunk Mail, because as Joel said earlier in the show, we've received a whole bunch of emails. <laughs> we kind of said that Azuma was going to be on the show this weekend. You guys came out. So thank you so much for all of the emails. Uh, the email address, if you want to email the show about future discussion topics, is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And the first uh, email we have comes in from Alistair. Uh, which is uh, who is a landscape artist patron in our discord so thank you for the email uh, this one says uh, piglin bartering is the subject it says hey guys i haven't had a chance to play around with piglin bartering yet but i've watched some videos of people building automated bartering systems including yourself azuma i had been thinking that it was starting to look like an overpowered mechanic which was then something that you ended up mentioning in a recent hermitcraft episode as well Based on your own observations and or experience, how do the three of you feel about the current bartering mechanics? If Mojang were to rebalance it in a future update, what do you think might be the best approach to doing so? Two methods I can think of might be to add a long cooldown between bartering sessions, or perhaps restrict it to gold only thrown by a player, rather than also including ones shot out from a dispenser or a dropper. Maybe you have some other possible solutions, or perhaps you enjoy how it currently works and don't want it to change. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yours chunkily, Alistair. Thank you, Alistair, for the uh, for the email. And yeah, X, since you've been talking about this uh, in recent Hermitcraft episodes, what are your thoughts on bartering? Uh, it is absolutely overpowered, like ridiculously overpowered. And one of the disappointing things about it, I think, is that it encroaches on other farms. Like it drops string, it drops enderpearls, obsidian, it drops things that you would used to go and make another farm for. So if you make a bartering farm, you're looking at cutting off like five or six different types of farm off of your list. And, you know, maybe maybe for most players or some players, like that's not a problem. I'll still enjoy doing the other project. But like the path of least resistance, you tend to go for what's most uh, powerful. So I, I, I think it's kind of easy to build a gold farm to then fuel your bartering farm. And it's ridiculously uh, overpowered. As for as for what they've suggested, though, the, the problem that I see is if you if you go the route of like, oh, let's make it so there's a longer cooldown, then you just get more uh, bartering piglins, piglins, the piglins, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, the ter the terminology is so fuzzy at this point with hoglins and piglins and zoglins and exactly all of that stuff. It's, it takes a while <laughs> to get used to all the naming conventions. Yeah, you you just tend to scale it up. Like if they slow it down, you'll scale it up. If they make it so the player has to throw the gold, you're just going to make an AFK player farm. I, I think they should reconsider what items it drops, um, and if not that, maybe redo the system so perhaps each piglin is unique as to what it drops and then maybe you have to spend more time earning the things that you get from it but it's kind of also easy just to uh, you know wrangle up a bunch of piglins and pick out what trades you want from them kind of like it is with villagers you know there's always ways to exploit and I just think I think probably the best way to go about it is to change the things that it gives to the player. What are your thoughts Joel? It's funny, I didn't think about that until uh, you brought it up, X, but the the variety of things that they drop is is something that has now struck me. I, I just, recently watching some Hermitcraft episodes, including yours, I was thinking, like, that's just a lot of stuff. Just, like, cumulatively, it was just a lot of reward for what didn't seem like a lot of work. And I know that we've talked about that, you know, on the show before in terms of, like, the effort in versus rewards out of projects in Minecraft. And uh, the one thing I 
don't want them to change in terms of removing the item from the um, drop list is gravel. I like the idea of renewable gravel. Um, but I think that to your point, X, that doesn't replace any other farm because gravel elsewhere is just, you have to go grind it. I don't know of any villagers that give you gravel. Remind me if I'm mistaken there, I, but I don't think they do. I think the, the, no. only, the places people were going for gravel before this was certain types of mountain biomes would have a yeah. lot of mm -hmm. it gravel pits. Or, or the bottom of the ocean. But then, um, you know, stuff floats now and it's harder to harvest than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, and and we still have some oceans that are gravel based because of the one dot twelve gen of the Citadel. So mm -hmm. depending on how far you go, um, you can still get that. But like you said, it becomes a real pain to then collect it. You have to have the collection boat at the top. It all, it's almost a two person job. <laughs> you know, you get somebody at the bottom, uh, mining the the gravel, and then somebody at the top running around a boat grabbing it all. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I think maybe that's a, a, a more of an eloquent solution is reducing the variety of things and having it be more nether specific uh, or uh, or have it being something that doesn't, you know, um, have an, a farm already. Uh, the, the player thing versus the the dispenser thing. I like making redstone contraptions, so I kind of like that you can use a dispenser to do that. I think it, it creates a cool, fun thing for a player to do, as opposed to having it always be like just tossing something on the ground or in front of them and having that be the only way. But, but yeah, I think I think reduction in the variety uh, and perhaps the volume as well. Like maybe instead of, I'm not sure what the frequency is on gravel, but if you take those percentages down to something lower where it's not quite like a chests upon chests full of stuff. Like it reminds me of the AFK fish farms back before they nerfed those. Oh dude, I had a comment in my stream that was amazing. Someone said that like bar bartering with piglins is the spiritual successor to AFK fish farming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I think it's, um you're right that a lot of the variety there, especially things like string and enderpearls, which can be farmed elsewhere in the nether because of endermen spawning in warped forests and striders, I believe, drop string. Uh, I, I imagine a lot of people not wanting to kill striders because they're adorable, but I feel like providing such an easy alternative in this piglin bartering mechanic doesn't quite, you know, add to people's variety of gameplay that they could experience from this update and obviously it's a it's a mechanic you can ignore and you don't have to automate it but players are always going to as x said path of least resistance and yeah i i think it's it's a, a mechanic that is aimed more at more casual players and people who are going to want another survival experience so they don't have access to the end they don't have access to spiders for string they're going to have to get it from somewhere but i think maybe in terms of looking at long-term survival servers and more active survival servers as a mechanic it is a little bit overpowered right now for what it is and a rebalancing maybe to just have one item per drop instead of you know that, dropping you know 30 or so ingots. that doesn't really work because you always scale up like your production like the, yeah. the way it goes at the moment is that i've got like a powerful gold farm but you can kind of build even more powerful ones quick and easy so if you think about how much gold you got coming in um i'm bartering with free piglins and they are just pumping stuff out and i've got a massive chest for the gold so if they drop one item each it would i you know i can just quadruple the amount of yeah you uh, just piglins. have 12 piglins at that point yeah exactly they would have to find the balance so that you need like maybe if you threw gold blocks at them then all of a sudden you've got to build a gold farm there's a limitation to how powerful the gold farm can be and then that can be the bottleneck for it but as it currently stands it's so overpowered that even just scaling it down you know 
you, you can just scale it back up very quickly because you know you get a lot of items for gold. I think and even getting one for gold, I think, would be quite a lot. What's interesting to me is that piglins only barter stuff for gold ingots specifically, and they won't throw anything on the ground if you throw them a gold nugget or a gold chest plate or something. And I wonder if maybe there could be values assigned to other items that would provide different loot tables for them. Yeah. And that may be a lot to program behind the scenes, but if you throw them a gold sword, maybe they throw you back, uh, you know, one of the fire resistance potions, for example. And so it's like combat versus survival kind of trade-off and so if you throw them gold ingots maybe they only throw you blocks like obsidian or gravel and then you've got to diversify the input of these bartering yeah. farms instead of just feeding them one type of item what, what i really like about that is that it adds in more time like you've got to then go and craft up chests full of swords right and it adds a little bit more work for the reward but then yeah. if you want to get really technical you there are ways of fishing those items out of other farms right like uh, zombie pigmen or zombie piglins can drop gold armor and swords on occasion. So then there's a little bit of incentive to perhaps to automate that to some extent, which would be a far bigger technical project, which I think is always appealing to have the option to do something that is maybe not the most rewarding, but like fun from a technical perspective, right? Yeah, and at that point, maybe you have them only accept stuff that is full durability and hasn't been damaged, at which point you have to combine the swords yourself, whether in a you know yeah. grindstone or you know whatever you want to uh, to repair it with. So there are some options out there, and I do wonder if this mechanic is going to become more refined in future or if they're just happy with it staying how it is now. Player feedback is always going to feed back into how they develop stuff like this in future. So let, let us you, know your you thoughts. You know what? I, th I think they're going to patch it in 1.20. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's it's, like, it's going to be a long Mo time Yang, coming. Mo Yang's track record is here's something that needs to be fixed for five updates, and then they fix it five updates later. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll take full advantage of it between now and then. Uh, let's move on to our next email, though. Joel, how about you read this one? Absolutely. This is from Evan Reeves. Uh, Piglin Bastions is the subject. Hey, Pix, Joel, and Azuma. I feel some features of the Nether update that either felt rushed or maybe were a little too much for the Nether update like Bastions. In my opinion, I think Bastions are a tad bit bland. Although they do have some cool features in them like magma cube spawners, the Bastion is just a big cube with a few neat entrances and some holes. I think that Mojang could have made them look a lot better from the outside. Are there any features you guys feel uh, rushed or maybe too much for 116? Love the show, Evan. So the, the Bastion debate, the great Bastion debate emerges once again. So two two things. First of all, just the recent track record since Microsoft took over, it's become quite obvious that uh, deadlines are a thing for these updates because they try and synchronously put them out on uh, all platforms. And then we see that there's something that got left out that they're going to put in after. So I, I think when it comes to things being rushed, it's clear that they work around deadlines now. So they can't take as much time as they want to perfect anything. Um, but as for the bastions, I think I think they're good. I, I don't have a problem with how they look because I, th I think if the developers were to put in too much stuff that looks really good in the game, it it kind of underwhelms the fact that Minecraft is kind of like 
inherently ugly a lot of the time and you can go in and make it look better I, which you can do with a bastion remnant right? i love i love that as a, a description of minecraft inherently ugly but you're right entirely and <laughs> we, we've had this discussion before about villages being an incentive to the player to build villagers better looking houses because the houses they have are very bare bones they don't have much furniture they don't really have a whole lot of style to them especially before the 1.14 update when villagers got a, a makeover but yeah, I, I think you're right. And Bastions, we talked about this on previous shows where we discussed them specifically. They are ruined to the, the state where it does look like you can sort of figure out what the layout was and repair them if you want to. Um, That's a good point. They are ruins. Yes. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> it, it's kind of like, do you want to restore this to its former glory or do you want to tear the entire thing down and build something else? Um, this morning, for an episode that's going to come out on my channel tomorrow, I explored all four different types of bastions, and before doing more heavy research into it, I was vaguely aware that there were different kinds, but I wasn't sure exactly how different they were. And now, having seen them all in survival, I feel like the experience feels a little bit more worthwhile. I will say this for bastions, they make a really bad first impression, um, because... If you encounter one of them, you sort of assume that all of them are going to look the same. So you, you encounter the Hoglin Stables Bastion, and it is the most ruined-looking structure in terms of, like, so many of the blocks that you would presume to be there in a full structure have crumbled away, and the ramparts section of it looks kind of melted almost, and they've tried to go for that effect with basalt blocks in there as though it's kind of, you know, melting down with the heat of the lava, and... Those don't look all that great, but then you find a bridge bastion and you look at it from the right angle if you can find one that isn't completely encased in netherrack or something, and it's got this piglin face staring out at you with lava behind the eye sockets and coming from the claws, and it it looks a lot more intentional when you see it generated in that way. The problem being that because of the randomness of terrain generation, you don't always get to see them with the full effect of what they were trying to do you know so many pieces of it are encased in netherrack or like half generated in a basalt delta so you can't really see where the rest of the structure is but i feel like seeing these things trying to find examples that were out in the open they were on the shores of lava lakes near you know very little overhanging terrain i felt like they seemed like a more complete experience to me after that i kind of wonder with bastions if they went too far the other way with the random component jigsaw combination of of making these things appear more random so that you you as the player don't get the same experience every time you go into one but then when you look on the outside of them they really kind of look jumbled uh i mean the other extreme is of course the desert temple and the jungle temples which just always look the same everywhere you've, you've seen one you've seen them all yeah um but from the outside they have a way more intentional and distinct look to them you know in terms of w when you find them the jungle temple looks very different than the desert temple and uh i i feel like i like the idea and having seen some screenshots of like the which one was it that has the pig face on it the, is the, it the bridge? bridge bastion yeah the bridge yeah so like having seen those in in snapshots and videos i think like okay well that that to me is like okay i see the pigs now like that's that's funny i i, I quite like that mm -hmm. i would have liked to have seen more of that um I, I would i would love to see like a bastion that's a giant pig head i think i've made this joke before about uh, the muppet show with the pigs in space and how everything is a giant pig head <laughs> pigs like, I think in that hell <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly it's i think getting. that would be great like i think it'd be really over the top it just it very it would fit minecraft but i think that they also did a really good job 
with the villages of upgrading them so that they still don't look like what a player could do or they inspire the player to do better but they still they don't look like like really rudimentary bo boxes they've given the villagers a little bit more credit i think with the 114 update what the villages look like and i was walking around in a crimson forest and realizing that this is where the piglins are supposed to spawn and live but there's no houses here they're i guess supposed to live in the bastion remnants so i I wonder if there was some sort of plan that might have been abandoned or or skipped through to Evan's point about perhaps you know being rushed a little bit in that you know when we first experienced or not experienced when we first talked about bastions and we were guessing at what they might be uh I remember Johnny you and I were talking about them potentially being like huts or tents or some yeah. sort of like living quarters so that you would see piglin villages inside of some of these nether forests and stuff I was and imagining I, I, a sort of like iron age or bronze age forts kind of thing almost yeah. like viking civilization with them being hunter gatherers and stuff and yeah. instead what you have is like the remains of this ruined stronghold type of structure and then they've all sort of reverted back to being hunter gatherers yeah so i just it's one of those things where i feel like it it's it just it does kind of miss the mark i can't comment a lot on them because i haven't experienced one yet in survival i haven't found one um but um for me from the outside i still have that first impression i think i think it's a good point that you made that they they don't make a good first impression you kind of have to go in and experience them to really kind of feel them out yeah I think so. Uh, well, let's move on to our main topic. Having Azuma here on the show, we couldn't not talk about Hermitcraft and <laughs> the fact that, of course, you've been the admin of Hermitcraft for quite a while. Hermitcraft is, of course, for those of our viewers who have been living under any uh, particularly large rock, uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the most popular YouTube creator servers. So Hermitcraft has a cast of, you know, roughly 30 creators, um, many of whom are dedicated full-time YouTube creators and uh, it's it's a big deal in the Minecraft community. Hermitcraft is often sort of the 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 household name, the buzzword, I guess. Uh, so I thought bringing you on the show, it would be great to talk about how the transition to the Nether update felt with a dedicated group like Hermitcraft and what the joys and challenges are of managing the Hermitcraft server as its admin. Uh, so we have a couple of listener emails that we can work into the discussion here. Uh, but first of all, how has the the we, we talked about your experiences with the nether update so so far how do you feel like the whole hermitcraft group has settled into the nether update um it's been a little bit disrupted by some absences we've got like a fair few people just having stuff going on in life at the moment so it's been kind of quiet since we've updated and everyone is diving into doing farms and solo projects before we come together to build a nether hub so it's kind of been a bit more of a solo experience I did, however, really enjoy playing bingo where we went through in little groups and did challenges. Mm -hmm. Kind of be kind of be nice to do that again. I think. Yeah, I think group collaborative efforts uh, on most servers. I feel Nether Hub is sort of like priority one. It always feels like the big project where everybody's got something to benefit from it, so it all tends to kind of band together. And I'm really interested to see, as we were discussing earlier, what the Nether Hub looks like when you end up with a uh, a server where everyone is now interested in looking at the landscape of the nether instead of just mm. building tunnels through it. Well, we very nearly made the wrong call um, because we were talking to Nembom about keeping our ceiling level of the nether so that we could update, uh, reset everything below and keep the ceiling up top because we were talking initially about the path of least resistance and just thinking 
you know, uh, it just so happens that the part below the hub is mainly nether wastes and particularly barren. And so we were kind of thinking, well, we're going to end up going on the ceiling again and maybe we should just build the hub up there. But luckily we discussed it enough to realize we should kind of pull back and actually do something uh, really big inside of the nether. But what that is going to be, we haven't got that far yet. Yeah, sure. I, I felt that though. I think a lot of the newer farms and stuff like it's it's easy and efficient to build it on the roof of the nether but then you just don't get to see all of the new stuff around you and it feels like you're just looking at awful looking bedrock and an empty red sky so i've i've been kind of succumbing to that notion myself and just thinking no i should build inside the nether if i want to try these farms it's probably going to be yeah. harder to spawn proof everything but at least there's a lot of cool scenery i can look well, at while i do season eight i think it would be a good idea to say let's not go on the roof like there's actually more you can do if you stay in the never now because the never's interesting yeah, definitely definitely which it never used to be <laughs> so um how important is it for you personally and for the hermits as a community to update the server as soon as there's a new release out like does that take priority over any technical issues like data packs and the availability of mods like optifine is it more important for you to have like the content goes out basically day and date with the updates release? Because I know this time I think you were playing in the release candidate on Hermitcraft before one sixteen actually came out, right? Yeah, I think generally where we are now, it's not how it used to be, but we are now. We know that like making good videos together is a priority, and so it'll be different with each update but like we want to make sure that we go into a new update and it doesn't compromise anything so sometimes that's going to be like you know how long do we have optifine again or like you said data packs like there's a variety of different things to be balanced but whereas we once might have thought you know new content new update we've got to get in there and play i think within the group as content creators we kind of elevate it to seeing the value in our content that should be preserved you know like if if updating the world to a snapshot would compromise it long term that's not a good move so we used to actually be a snapshot server right i think maybe season three and four we probably played on snapshots but then over time it's about like stability and having all the tools like replay mod etc and the update cycle for 1.16 has actually been really great like all the stuff's been there which is why we did release candidate you could get fabric for release candidate and put replay mod on whereas 1.15 it was a totally different story you know so... yeah i i remember 1.14 especially the village and pillage update having a really rocky start in the pre-releases because you had things like entities disappearing and this is probably causing all, all sorts of like flashbacks for you so i'm sorry if it was it was uh difficult to deal with all of that but oh, i oh yeah there's there's been some stuff around that era like i remember having several backups of the world i think it was the 1.14 update and i would have to just do some weird stuff with like rolling back chunks and rolling them forward because things were going wrong and there was like a ton of admin stuff to do around that era yeah that was a rocky one. Yeah, so I imagine that changes your outlook a little bit on what's going to work for content versus what's going to work for you know, having the platform of the server in order to, you know, having something stable to work from in order to make stuff. So it makes sense that now with with 116, you're you're playing it a little bit safer, but also it does feel like the communication from Mojang and the um the kind of 
uh, application of themselves to figuring out bugs before release actually goes out and everything. Like it, it, it feels a little bit more stable now than I think it did back in those days. Yeah, it tends to it tends to fluctuate a little bit. Like, um, was it around one point twelve? The optimization of the game started to really tank in terms of performance, um, and then then it started to swing back the other way. But uh, yeah, one point fifteen was a tune-up update for the entire game, right? Although they had the bees, it was about fixing bugs, yeah. and they really continued that very well with one point sixteen. I I quite like looking at the bugs that get fixed in each of the snapshots because they seem to have like really like looked at some old bugs um there's been some really good bug fixes in 1.16 one that they've got in the latest pre uh snapshot is have you ever been like i was watching tango's video and it happened to him you're like standing on some redstone right like a repeater and then you fall off the edge of it because you drop off of the repeater onto the next block but because you're on the edge of the block you just fall down and that's happened to me so many times and I didn't even think of it as a bug but now they've picked out this old bug from way back when and fixed it and that's just such a great quality of life little change and they seem to be picking up like quite a lot of those as well as addressing all the issues that arise just by adding new content you know um, the game is getting really polished as it's getting developed instead of like like it was a couple of years ago it's kind of getting bloated with problems as it was getting developed which is really great i feel like this has really been a quality of life update as well as a nether update you look at things like mending now going directly to the mending tools even if you're still even if you're still in full mending armor and you've got that fully repaired it's still going to mend your pickaxe in your hand before it gives you levels to your xp bar and the, yeah. there's so many good changes like that that i've been as happy with as i have been some of the features of the nether changing you know so i I, yeah. I think as long as they move forward with an approach like that um it's it's gonna be more and more polished as it goes forward i was just gonna say when they added that and i saw it from the snapshot perspective you know covering it in creative mode i just thought oh that's that's really op but then when you go into survival and experience you just realize this isn't op this is just taking out that irritating grind of like <laughs> un uh, taking off your armor while you're mining so your pick can repair a bit and then putting it back on it is it, it makes mending very very convenient there is an embarrassing number of times that i've been at my my gold farm in the sky above the nether roof and have forgotten to put my elytra back on before i dropped <laughs> off of the tower and immediately fallen to my death so i'm very happy about this change it's actually one of my favorites um but speaking of which as far as quality of life goes um i want to talk a little bit about vanilla tweaks because obviously this is a a kind of community of and a platform for data packs that you've curated uh, yourself with help from some of the the data pack creators over the last little while and that's improving quality of life both on and off servers i'm thinking about you know server side packs like one player sleeping and things like that but then you've also got vast improvements in terms of crafting tweaks in terms of resource packs like i've started using resource packs like uh the unobtrusive enchantment glint and lower fire and stuff like that because i find that the purple shimmery enchantment effect looks rubbish on netherite armor and tools because you just can't see the texture and um i'm spending a lot of time on fire because of course there's lava everywhere and even with fire resistance i don't want it obscuring half my screen um so so i use vanilla tweaks myself and i'm sure a lot of other people out there in the community do how important are things like that to your minecraft experience now and and how important is it that you get stuff like that up and running in the latest release because you guys seem to be pretty on top of that 
Yeah, I'd I'd say uh, it's pretty essential. Like I've, it's so noticeable things that I think should be tweaked. Like lower fire is a great example. I happened to catch your video um, with the enchantment glint, and I was thinking, do you know what? Like that wasn't my idea. That was someone else's, and I just I never felt like I had a problem with the enchantment glint. And then I saw it, and it was like this has been in vanilla tweaks rages, and I just haven't paid any attention to it. But uh, I got to give full credit to the vanilla tweaks team. I do very little. I'm like the promotional head and the guy who comes in with an ideas because you know I'll discuss it on a live stream and we'll, we'll we'll find something that could be different or someone will suggest something so I can be a kind of like a uh, a funnel for good ideas to go through um and so the the team themselves have like done all of this and the the reason why this stuff gets updated quickly is because there are passionate people working on it and one of the things that's been really great is to build out the community a little bit because it used to be for a long time well initially it was me then it was me and ease and then it was um a couple of other people coming in and then for a long time we worked as just a closed little group and now we've actually opened up our discord and we have people coming in and contributing uh helping one another and so like the community's kind of grown out a little bit and because of that it's just you know we've got dedicated people now in the team who update it um, right on time each for each update which is really cool to see and super great um what is your response to people who argue that data packs make a vanilla server modded where do you draw that line because i've definitely seen some people uh some people getting a little irate in comment sections here and there claiming that hermitcraft is a modded server and i think of hermitcraft as like the vanilla server so i i know you know it, it's it's relatively slim what you end up using on hermitcraft but can you speak to that a little bit what what do you think makes yeah, I, the line i think they've got a point but the point should be to articulate it a little better it's like they're uncomfortable with the data packs that we use yeah and some people are not um and so when we talk about things in a as a group there is one or two people that are more resistant to these ideas than others and some of the things we have do go more in the modded direction like the armor stands but i think the general rule for data packs and why it works for us like the broader community accepts the things we use is because when we do stretch what's possible it's usually cosmetic it's not it's not changing the fundamentals of the game yeah or or it's like quality of life convenience um like the mending fix we just discussed a moment ago i mean if that could have been done through a data pack i'm not sure that's an idea that i would have gone with but that would be one of those ones that i think would blur the lines a little bit for people but then when it becomes an actual part of the Mo, you know, Mo Yang have patched it and made it a part of the game, then it's just accepted. But we don't tend to go for gameplay things like that, right? Yeah. The gameplay tends to be kept as vanilla as possible, and then everything else around it is more convenience or perhaps like oversight. Yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. it's interesting that you bring up the armor stand book as an example because on Bedrock Edition, you can pose those armor stands and they come with arms by default and a series of preset poses that you can right-click through. So that's just a difference between Bedrock Edition and Java, but that's in the vanilla game in Bedrock without any add-ons or, or resource packs or anything like that. So just the fact that that isn't available for Java would almost, to me, justify the experience of something like the armor stand book. Yeah, um, that's, that's a fair point. And there are differences between the two versions, right? Um... You know, like if people are going to call these data packs like modded or they want to define Hermitcraft as modded, um, you know, every single update of Minecraft since as long as I can remember, there will be a comment 
from someone saying this is too modded, right? Yes, 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 definitely. So the game itself evolves and changes. And I think for anyone who's like on the fence about what to use or what they think crosses some invisible line is like at the end of the day, you can only cheat yourself when you play a game. So mm-hmm. if there's something that is like not fun and you think your gameplay will be better and more fun by putting in this data pack, then do it. And if you're in a community, obviously you have to get everyone's like agreement on that. Yeah. No, I, I think it was Il Mango around the time that the uh, snapshots started coming out for the Nether update was asked, you know, do you think these feel too modded? And he says, everything feels modded for about two weeks in vanilla, and then it just feels like vanilla then. Yeah, <laughs> so, why, yeah. so why bother <laughs> debating it, you know? That's so true, yeah. Um, we had an email actually related to vanilla tweaks from Daniel G, who asked if there were any more vanilla tweaks planned that you could give us some inside info about. And ja- Daniel says, I know I personally would love renewable sand. Yeah, so I love that. I read that earlier, and I was like, "Why have we never put renewable sand in?" I know, um, I know the Cycraft community. Speaking of Il Mango, have their uh, fabric mod. I think it is for things like automated crafting table, and then husks drop sand, so they have renewable sand that can be done with a data pack. So that's actually getting done right now. So. Thanks, awesome. Daniel. <laughs> yeah, great the, suggestion. Uh, the Skyblock map I've been playing by Doctor Trog, uh, husks drop sand in that as part of a, a loot table change, and so yeah, I, I think that's not a, a bad idea. Ultimately, it's it's nice to have a way of renewable sand because let let me let me restate my position from previous episodes on the show: giving the wandering trader sand does not make it renewable. <laughs> He's awful. <laughs> he like never shows up yeah. with sand when I want him. Yeah, we added a data pack <clears throat> to get mini heads from the wandering trader, and like. It's a complete joke actually trying to farm the wandering trader. Like I have <laughs> so little luck in getting it to appear, and then it's just every now and then, oh, look, there's one. Get a few heads from it, and that's it. So yeah, using that for sand is not so great. But uh, Daniel also asked if there was a pack that we had plans that, like, I could talk about. Um, so I'm not really going to say anything about what it is, but we've got an idea for Hermitcraft for something we. Th- think could be one of those things where like everybody's going to end up wanting to have it it's not going to be as great as like the armor stand book but the equivalent would be the armor stand book like a thing that then all players kind of want access to interesting so just Hermit dropping Craft a little gossip. bit of hype yeah what watch this space <laughs> minecraft community look out awesome nice uh one of the things that i <clears throat> excuse me was thinking about as you guys were talking about the wandering trader i was going back to our discussion about piglin bartering talk about two opposite ends of the spectrum right? <laughs> oh like yeah got, yeah you got piglins piglin bartering which is basically like item barf and then you, and then you've got the wandering trader which is like this stingy you never see them and it, and it's like useless like do you want a flower? No, I don't want a flower. <laughs> Just... what, what we need to do is put a piglin and the wandering trader in those pods from the fly and make the wandering piglin who has like reasonable stuff that you always want most of the time. That's what I, we I need. Wonder, I wonder what happened there with like the roadmap for development. Like, did they sort of, did something go wrong along the way with the wandering trader? Because it just feels so underwhelming that it offers literally nothing. I've I've seen the argument made that he's basically bringing stuff from biomes that you might not have explored yet if you're in early game, but then the infrequency with which he shows up, and then the fact that he still shows up with a random selection of stuff when you're at end game and have visited every biome, um, is is kind of laughable. And I think with Minecraft being so much more accessible now, we have a and can fly everywhere. 
it's not like anybody struggles to get two specific mm. biomes at this point unless they are a relatively new player. So once again, it feels like one of those things that is for more casual players and less dedicated players who will know where to go to get that stuff. Yeah, it could be. You know, one thing I really want to do is play Minecraft with my mates. Um, a couple of them actually play it, but most of them don't. But I never get around to like trying to organize anything. But I kind of want to see like how they would play the game for the first time. And do these do these particular might... mates know what you do for a living? <laughs> oh yeah, like... yeah, they know. All right, but that's yeah. that's like for some of them like not a reason to play Minecraft. I don't know. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe they would see the wandering trader and just be like, "Oh my god, there's coral reefs!" You know. Sure. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it could be pretty good for someone who hasn't actually seen all that other stuff out there. I mean, Minecraft's got a heck of a lot of blocks, right? Mm -hmm. And items. And if you haven't been playing this game for years, that's that's a ton of information to take in. A number of our listeners uh, wrote in asking about various levels of advice for starting or running Minecraft servers. So one of the things I thought I'd, I'd put out there would be, what would be a point or two of advice that you would give a new Minecraft server admin wanting to start something up? Um, let me just, let me, let me come back to that in a second, because I'm just thinking over these emails. Didn't we have someone ask about using paper? Yeah, here it is. Did we did we read this email out from Ronan Kai? Let let's go let's go to that if you're you're interested in answering that first. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so I'll read this one. It comes in from Ronan Kai uh, uh, with the subject line "Keeping a server alive." Says, "Good morning, Joel Picks and X. Uh, I run a server making use of many of the Vanilla Tweaks resources. The server currently runs on paper. However, with the one sixteen update, we've been noticing some issues with world loading and other lag or world issues." The impression we get from the Hermit's videos is that your server seems to be running a treat. I'm aware that this may not always be the case and doesn't look to have many, if any, of the problems we're having. Do you use a vanilla jar with data packs, a modded jar, or something like paper? And what tips or tricks can you give a fellow admin for performance? M uh, much yeah. appreciated in advance, Ronan Kai. So this is maybe skipping ahead a couple of steps from starting a server, but uh, let's dive into that if you're... you're want to answer that yeah, question. Yeah, so um, I just wanted... When I first read this email, I kind of read it a little different, right? But... If you're running paper on a server and using data packs, that is a big problem because paper, and I believe Spigot as well, is not optimized or created to then work with data packs. They are, they are designed to be servers that work with programming code, right? So when it comes to data packs, why would they bother supporting it properly? Because it's all about creating a plugin and a bunch of code. And what we learned on LPMT is that data packs cause all the problems because whenever they do something the paper mc the spigot has not been optimized to work with the data pack so for anyone out there who is using paper mc or spigot and data packs together go look at that because that's probably where you're getting lag issues from like every time a data pack does something it causes a problem so i kind of wanted to air that out there for this person and anyone else who's listening um as for as for starting like a server um, you know, people always ask for hosts and whatnot, and I don't feel too comfortable giving out advice on that. We used to work with Cubetoast, who were great for the most part, but we decided eventually to take things into our own hands. So when we run a server, we're, we've got a dedicated box. It is top-end hardware because it's Hermitcraft, and, you know, that's all stuff that I can't really advise anyone on because it's all technical, and I have people help me put up a control panel and you know get all of that stuff running um there's 
the the setup that we have that would be good for a lot of people I think is we use fabric and then we use something called lithium and lithium has been absolutely fantastic it allows us to play on a high render distance with like you know 15 people on at once and not have any issues um, and so what lithium is supposed to do and appears to do is to optimize the game without changing the end result so if you play something like spigot or paper mc uh, certain mechanics behave differently in the world. Redstone is slightly different here and there. And Lithium is supposed to give you the optimizations without the compromises. And since we've been doing that, like the server has been just running absolutely brilliantly. Never have any problems with it. Um, so for anyone out there who is in the know on how to do that, getting Fabric to run Lithium is is the way to go in my opinion. Yeah, sound advice, because it does always seem like, and, and maybe there are things you can cut around if you're editing videos, I imagine in the past when you've had issues, people have been able to do that quite artfully, but you will pe you'll notice people in videos saying like, oh, the, for some reason the lag is off the charts today, somebody must be running some giant redstone thing somewhere, but it's it's often the case now that you don't see people mentioning that in Hermitcraft videos at all, because everything seems to be running a lot smoother, so... Yeah, definitely good advice. And I think as far as starting a new server, there is such a broad variety, like in terms of scale out there. You know, if you if you just want to start a server with a couple of friends, then you don't need to invest a huge amount of money. You might even be able to get something like Realms, which has a, you know, a, a plan for either two players or 10 players. Um, and there are a, a lot of varieties of things out there. And Realms may be a little bit more expensive, but it's Minecraft's sort of native hosting service. Um, and you can yeah. you can invite people from within the game instead of having to you know go elsewhere and mess around with control panels and stuff like that. Yeah, when when people ask about starting a server, like sometimes it's like, are you asking technical or social? Yeah, because yeah. there's also like a social level, um, and a lot of people ask like, you know, how do you get Hermitcraft? To, how does everyone get along? Air quotes, right? Um, and I think, especially if you're in the younger crowd, the younger side of the audience, like getting a community of people to work together can be a lot more difficult just because, you know, young younger people have a bit less experience working with others or might have like poor impulse control when it comes to, you know, taking items out of a chest because that's just something that never ever happens on Hermitcraft, you know. Um, and some people ask for like advice along those lines. Um, but yeah, there's there's two sides to starting a server. Like you've covered there, you've got options like Realms as well as uh, companies that host Minecraft servers, which is a little more difficult to do than Realms. But then there's also like the social side of it, getting people together to create a group. And it's a little bit harder for me to comment on that side of it. I think, I don't know if you guys have got any advice on the social side of it, perhaps? I think just keeping communication as open as possible about what's happening on the server is the important part. And I imagine Hermitcraft has this behind the scenes as well, but just having a Discord where everybody can have some input into where they're building, what they're doing, you know, and if you're recruiting random people from, you know, the Looking for Minecraft servers subreddit, for example, then you probably want to have some sort of admissions process making sure that people are going to be on the level. Uh, if you're starting a server of YouTubers, you might want to make sure that people have a certain amount of quality and behave a certain way in their videos. And that's how you can, you know, set expectations about how they're going to behave on your server. But I think communication is ultimately it, it's what it comes down to is making sure that everyone's on the same page about something. No one's going to have any unpleasant surprises. Uh, if you've got a shop that you want people to, you know, come and patronize, then you can find, you know, it, it's it's nice and easy to communicate with people and say, hey, I'm selling fireworks now. So, you know, I've got the firework business sewn up. 
let me know if you want to go into business together or something like that. I th- I think that's that's where a lot of the multiplayer aspect can be fun as well is in the kind of the forming of a community around playing on a server and that's always going to start with communication. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Communication is so important for so many so many things, right? Well, with with a bi- uh, server as busy as Hermitcraft, with I mean, I, I'm, I'm all if I think all, everybody's a you know professional uh, adult with lives outside of Minecraft. A lot of times, like I, I would imagine that a lot of the times it's like herding cats, and without the Discord, it would be impossible to try and sort out you know what what's happening on in the server. Do you do you find any any challenges in getting people together for meetings or or launches of new you know new worlds stuff like that is it is it difficult to wrangle people's schedule with especially because people are in different time zones um we kind of figured it out over time you know really it takes someone to do that so if no one does then nothing happens right so i've always been the person to shoot everyone a dm and let them know there's a meeting going on and over time that's fallen into a routine where we've got a slot that basically everyone can attend and so um over time as that's gotten more and more a, like a groove a routine like it's just become easy to communicate mm. with everyone because we're kind of in a habit of having a regular meeting time that everyone can attend and we discuss stuff um going back a few years it was a little trickier because we were not as close as a group i guess you could say but also we didn't have discord something about discord makes communication really great and easy um whereas when it was like Back when we used to use Skype, oh, it was awful to try and get people together. <laughs> yeah. I've had I've had to use Skype when I've been running D and D sessions with my friends uh, recently, just like casual kind of fun in the evenings. And then I I go back to using Skype, and I'm like, how did we ever use this to communicate stuff yeah. about a gameplay server? Like you can't split it into multiple chats, or if you can, it just feels like a completely separate conversation is happening in a different group. But yeah, Discord being able to group stuff together at the very least just makes things so much easier. That's uh, that's something we use our Discord server for. Um, You know, I was wrangling my head earlier trying to think of things that I could pass on that are useful. And yeah, sometimes when you sit down and try and extract that stuff, it doesn't come to you. But like in in our Discord, we have channels related to particular activities on the server, related to information. So if you want to know where this area is, that area is, there's a channel that you can go read the posts. And if you want to communicate about collaborating or uh you know you've reshot you've restocked your shop there is a channel for that and they're quite actively used and it's really great way of communicating you know because you kind of know what that channel's for and then you go in you get the exact information you need earlier uh today i think you mentioned a a gentleman's rule about you know not destroying the nether and because you guys want to fly around and see all the the pretty blocks in the in the new biomes uh we have a, an email from Cato uh, cat 004 uh, asking how do you quote unquote control what can and cannot be done on the hermitcraft server and i'll kind of expand on that and say like in terms of other you know hermitcraft social slash quality of life guidelines do you have any in place that maybe people don't know about that you don't mind sharing i this is one of the things i rattled my brain over um so much of it is just about being mature and being reasonable with one another think through you know think through your actions and i think again younger people get a bit too much uh of the stick for this right anyone's capable of being ignorant or whatever i certainly have been on occasions at certain times but you just gotta think through your actions when you're playing in a community and be like oh if i go build this thing here is it like right in front of where someone else is building or you know um 
And so I think just the type of people we are as a group mean there are rules, but like they're just rules by being considerate people, considerate of one another. So we've, there's practically nothing that's written down. Um, right. Like, you know, it's a gentleman's rule that we go out far in the never, but like it was just something that was expressed that we all agree on. Like, let's go out a thousand blocks if we're going to take any resources out of the nether. It's not written down anywhere. Um, I think the only thing that gets written down is like the location of the mining mesa, right? Where you go get your sand and your mesa blocks. And then everyone knows to do that now after quite a few seasons of having that. And so, yeah, it really comes down to maturity, you know? Mm. It sounds a lot like, it sounds a lot like uh, looking before you leap. But in this case, it's often probably ask before you leap. So if you're thinking about doing something, you're like, nah, everybody on the Hermitcraft server just seems to be mature enough in the communication to say like, I want to build this thing, but this is pretty big. I should just toss this in the Discord to make sure that no one's got any plans nearby before I erect, you know, the Great Pyramid or, yeah. or, a, giant, or a giant villager statue or whatever it is that you're doing. It all seems to just come down to a groove that you guys have found yeah, over that, the years. Yeah, that's something that happens quite often is like a message will just shoot up in chat with someone asking for like, hey, I was thinking of doing this thing here. What do you guys think of it? And other people then wage in, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, like just that level of consideration is there. Yeah, I, I've seen that even extend to video content to the point where people will avoid looking in certain areas in case there's going to be spoilers yep. <laughs> for other people's videos. And that's and that's great. And that's something that I imagine develops over time as you grow as a community of content creators as well as a server. Um, but yeah, I, I think that level of consideration is is kind of um, is, is going to be a very good thing in any any community like this. Well, that is where we're going to leave our show for today. Thank you so much, Azuma, for taking the time to join us on today's show. Where can people go if they want to see more of you and what you do? I would I would just say, you know, go to assumavoid.com and all the stuff is there, all the links, videos, channels. If if someone wants to dig into what I do, you can find it all linked on uh, on my official website. Is the music blog linked on there as well? Oh, yeah, the music blog's on there. I love to write about music. Yes, I'm, I'm a casual reader of the blog. I find it really fun because you, you cover such a variety of stuff on there from like hip hop to death metal and stuff. And yeah, as a, a former music production student, it's, it's super cool to see other people out there with such a breadth of musical taste. So there's my recommendation for the week. Check out Azuma's music blog, as well as his channel, his Twitch, basically everything else that the man does. He's a genius. Uh, that's going to be it for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show, links to some of the stuff we talked about today, and of course, all of Azuma's links as well at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. If you get some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and gets us closer to our goal of recording the show consistently in our Discord so that everybody can listen in when we record the show live. We're currently at 185 patrons, which is down a couple from last week. That sort of early month Patreon catch-up is happening, but special thanks to our content engineer engineers Cameron Sigelski, Greener Canuck, JD Williamson, Yakov Nastin, and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Just poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, you should listen to The Spawn Chunks. It's pretty cool. And hey, Azumu is on this week. You now have to go listen. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and as well YouTube as well. You can leave a podcast review in the Apple Podcast app. It's a great way to grow the show. And the RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com. The 
the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful update in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I'm basically just mining ancient debris all day every day, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me there, just drop me a line. The Citadel Cafe is my podcast all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. We took the week off last week for the Canada Day holiday, but we're back. Uh, that is at thecitadelcafe.com. And of course, you can find me at Joel Duggan on social media and on Twitch as well. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. Go forth and embrace the void. Mm -hmm.